Hello, and welcome to the LYF podcast. This podcast is provided to you by the Love Yourself Foundation, which is an organization here spreading the message of love and more specifically self-love and the powerful ripple effect that has not only in building a better relationship with yourself, but also with your community and with our beautiful planet. We're here to tell you that we're all one. All living beings are connected to each other, to the universe. So we're going to be talking about important topics like mental health, environmental issues, and tying it all back into the self and ways that you can not only empower your relationship with yourself, but also empower your relationship with your community and with our beautiful planet. So if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the LY Foundation. You can also check out our website at the lyfoundation.org. And we have a very special new addition to what we're doing. We now have a membership program called the Lifeline Membership Program, which offers support calls, group support calls, free admission to our events, workshops, specialized merch. So we also have special discounts going for students, teachers, frontline workers. So if you want to hear more about this, please go to our website at the LY Foundation slash membership for more info. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everybody. As Mel said, my name is Monica Garcia, and this is going to be a live podcast recording. So this will be also on our podcast streaming platforms after today. But I'm really thankful and so grateful to be here today with Josh Molina, co-founder of Makers and Finders. I actually started coming here The first year that it opened, probably a few months into Makers and Finders, this location being open. And at the time, I was serving as an AmeriCorps volunteer with a nonprofit called Green Our Planet. And what I had to do with this job was go to different schools across the valley. And a lot of my schools were down here. And then my office was on the south side of Las Vegas. So I would tell my my director, I'm like, can I just, you know, post up at a coffee shop and like work from here? And she was always super cool. And as a result, I was here a lot. (laughs) And I started getting to know Josh a lot and his other staff. And I just fell in love with the fact that I felt at that time, this was like back in 2015, 2016, I started to see what was happening on this. I went to LVA, uh, Las Vegas Academy. And, you know, back then too, like the, the downtown area was still... It seemed a little bit forgotten, but again, back in 2015, 2016, I started to see, wow, like there's businesses popping up here. And honestly, Josh and, and his co-founder were some of the first to do it. So it's incredible just to see Josh's growth and makers and finders growth. And I'm just so honored to be here today and the full circle of everything. So hi, Josh. <laughs> hi. And hi, everybody. Thank you so much for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. And Monica, I mean... Great introduction. Everything that she said is spot on. You know, when we opened in 2014, shortly after, I got I got to meet Monica and some of her team, and you know, just an instant connection. And you know, here we are, almost gosh, six, seven years later, and um, sitting on this couch. So I'm very grateful as well, and uh, I'm looking forward to tonight to the podcast. So you know, one of the first questions that I always ask people when I'm interviewing them is what is it that you love about yourself and how has that quality helped you in your in your life and in your journey, both professionally and personally? I think that would be my OCD. <laughs> I know that's usually represented in a negative way, also positive, but 
I'm very much, you know, an organizational freak, a neat freak, and I like order, I like structure, and I think that, you know, it's a gift and a curse. It's great for, you know, it helped me launch this business and it's allowed me to keep growing it, but it's also, you know, something that at times could get in the way and, you know, prevents me from taking steps that I may or may not need, but I think that's probably something that I love and also sometimes don't love so much about myself, depending on the context, but. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that's something that we can all maybe even attest to, right? Is like our superpower can either break us or make us. And it's really learning how to navigate that and, and maneuver it in a way that is positive. And it sounds like you've been able to get a handle of that. And I mean, it's evident in all the work that you're doing. Most times. <laughs> there are still a lot of times where I, I have to try to yeah. self, self, do some self-talk, some self-pep talks, and really try to work through it. But yeah. 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 That's great. So now let's go back a little bit in memory lane and talk about how, the, how did the concept of makers and finders come to be and any other stepping stones that you had to go and take on to make it a, make it a reality? Yes. So... We opened these doors on October 30th of 2014. The lead up to that was very much just, I'm a first generation Colombian American, right? So I was born in New York City. Both my parents are Colombian from, you know, they immigrated in the late 70s, early 80s. So when I moved to Las Vegas, you know, I went from being part of a majority. So the highest concentration of Colombians in a is in New York City where I'm from and actually the borough that I grew up, Queens, right? And then I come to Vegas and com it's completely opposite. It's more Central American, Mexican, Salvadorian, et cetera, et cetera. So when, I, when we arrived here as a family, you know, just kind of seeing the kind of how underrepresented the Colombian culture, the Colombian cuisine was, South American cuisine was, that was my first kind of mental note of saying, hey, there might be some potential here. And then down the road, I got in the insurance business for, for a while. I was, you know, I'm a natural salesperson, really. And so I, I got into the insurance business. I hated it. I can't sit behind a desk for that long. But in that misery, I was kind of starting to really look into the actual potential of having a Latin-inspired cafe. And this was back in 2012, 2013. And if I was looking, doing R&D in other cities like New York, Minnesota, L.A., and I, and I was seeing all, the, all of these very trendy Latin-inspired cafes. And so that really triggered me to look further and start taking this seriously. It was always a dream, too. Like, you know, my, par my parents, they always wanted to open a bakery or a restaurant that's, you know, that specialized in Colombian cuisine. So it, I think it's something kind of planted, a seed planted early on. But it was really just seeing the market in Las Vegas, comparing it to other markets. Vegas, for the last three decades, has been a very quick, quickly growing city. And even now, you know, it's experiencing another, another wave of, of, of people moving here. So I, you know, that's when I kind of started to conceptualize this vision for makers and finders. And a big part of it was I wanted to have a Latin cafe and have all of these different dishes that were very near and dear to me, but I wanted, like what I always noticed going to very, you know, authentic places, 
whatever culture it's from, whatever, whatever cuisine, is that you, know, you have to be very feeling adventurous and very curious to go. And you know, the menu is sometimes hard to read. The communication sometimes is a little difficult. So you go once in a while, right? So that, a big part of it was I, we wanted something that was easy to navigate, the menu, right? And that the door, the sign up front didn't tell you that this was a Latin restaurant. And so that was a big part of building the vision for Makers is we wanted a Latin cafe, but we wanted to, we, we didn't want to give it away at, at, the, at the door, right? And we wanted a menu that was very repeatable and that ultimately led to the menu that we have now. And you know, from there, now, it, the journey to getting here, which is a whole other story, I'm sure. Yeah. We'll talk through it tonight. Yeah. Awesome, thank you, Josh. Yeah, let's touch a little bit on that, on the creation phase, because you know, as an entrepreneur, right, there can be a lot of self-doubt sometimes and belief that your idea will make an impact or that it'll be well-received. So what are some things that you did back then to really help yourself believe in the concept, to not let yourself give up? you know, even before you, you put it out there for the world to see? I, in, in all honesty, there was a lot of blind optimism because I was also 23, 24, 25. So, you know, I was, I was uh, bullish on anything that I did. And even though I probably didn't know what I was doing half the time. But, you know, some very important parts. And I always refer back, you know, to, to my mentors, right? I was lucky enough to get a job in an insurance agency and had, a, had an owner that was very much interested in molding young men, young women into business-minded people. So when I was 17, I, I was able to get into, Eric, get into business with Eric James, who was my first boss, my first mentor. And I think that was a really important part in my journey, just being introduced to contracts, reading, you know, understanding terms and, and all of these things that come into play in business. He introduced me at a really young age. I still remember to this day, he, he, he threw his, he had like, you know, a couple vehicles at the time. He threw one of his keys at me. I was 17. He's like, hey, he's like, pull up the truck. I'm taking you somewhere. And this was like three weeks into this, this new job. And I'm like, what's, you know, be perplexed. And then we go over and he takes me to a contract signing and he was lending money, charging interest for it, you know, went over the terms with me. And then I sat in and in that negotiation and that, ex you know, when they executed the contract. And, you know, I was very lucky to be privy to that information at, a, at such a young age. And it really helped me understand, start understanding uh, business a little bit better. And then just going, working at an office, like, you know, that's, it, it, it helped me profoundly because Paper pushing is like the Achilles heel for restaurants. You can have a great restaurant, but typically at any restaurant that I've ever worked at, the paperwork is a mess, like there is no flow for, mm -hmm. for the admin side, and the admin is the back. So I was grateful and thankful enough to have a little experience, you know, six years in the admins and, and paper pushing and, and all that. So, you know, my mentors were very instrumental to getting me to this spot that I'm at. And then higher education, you know, you know, I come, my family, I was first in my immediate family to graduate college. I, I was able to, you know, go to a charter school in high, uh, my last two years of high school and I graduated with sophomore credits and then graduated from UNLV with a psych degree in 2010 and just that structure that that you know that 
foundation of deadlines and writing papers and you know pursuing these the best grade that you can get and and I was grateful enough to work in some research labs so I, I had a lot of foundation I think coming out of college coming into my own learning some of this business stuff from my first mentor and then I eventually got my first restaurant job when I was 21 usually you know you start restaurants when you're 16 years old and you start young but I started a little later and I learned the ropes and you know worked at a several restaurants in the city. And finally, you know, the combination of learning some of these admin, very important admin, and then the restaurant side of things. And that culminated to when, when I was 25, 26, to be able to open it up. But obviously that didn't happen out of my, out of my own doing. It was very much a, a, a family effort, a team effort. My brother, who's standing right up there, he, you know, I had, I, I made the call. I'm like, hey, like, you know, I found the spot this place that we're sitting in in 2013 try you know hey can you can you put some money in can you i need i need a little bit of money and he was able to put some make an investment my mom did it i had some savings and we were able to just gather up you know a hundred thousand dollars and started looking for real estate and landed on this this location originally you know we wanted to be closer to fremont but you know once i stepped foot into velveteen which was the first independent business in, on this block, I was, I was hooked. I'm like, this is it. Like, this yeah. is happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we are. And, you know, we went through sidewalks getting torn apart, trees being planted. I mean, this thing was a wild west for a good year and a half. And we made it through, and, and here we are. That's amazing. I mean, and you withstand the, the pandemic, too, oh. <laughs> not to mention, right? So I guess, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, the challenges, right, of owning a business during this time of COVID and any lessons learned through this time that you can say, what, that, that you can even be thankful that that's, that may have been what's helped you help the business be resilient during this time. COVID, I mean, it, it, it's... I was telling you earlier, you know, conversation like this, this year has been the hardest year of my life, professionally, personally, emotionally, all of the above, right? It's weird because last year didn't, even though, you know, that's when the pandemic began and all, you know, everything was new and unknown. I feel like last year was a breeze compared to this year. And this year we're just feeling, you know, the, the labor market is restructuring. Things are just resetting. And uh, it's, it's been a tremendously difficult year. Back in June, July, I mean, we had lost so many of our, of our staff, our team. Resorts World opened up, so they grabbed a bunch of, of our team members, and then things were just shifting. It was so palpable, too. Like it's, it's, and it still feels that way. It's in the air, right? I think a lot of people feel that way. Like, hey, there's, yeah. there's, a, lot, there's a lot going on in this world right now. And uh, yeah, it's been extremely challenging. But I will say that we did make some really good movements early, right? So when the closure happened, the shutdown happened in March, you know, we gathered, the upper management ga gathered, and we made a conscious decision. We're like, all right, what are we going to do? Are we going to board up our shops? Because, you know, we are in downtown, and there's always been, you know, a pretty dense homeless population. But when that shutdown happened... It was like a whole different scene out here. Like it was, they were out and about openly, right? Yeah. So we had to make a choice. Are we going to board up the store and get, you know, and do what pretty much everybody else did? Or, you know, are we going to speak true to our name, which is, you know, 
that's kind of our, the branding that we carry. Makers and Finders is very much the spirit of like an entrepreneur, right? The American dream, the, 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 the hustle, the bustle, the moving, the shaking. So we, we made a choice early on to not close our doors. And so we, we took old school. One of the first things we did in this location before we opened the doors was set up a coffee bar right on the sidewalk there on uh, June of 2014. Right? And we were giving out free coffee to, to the community, and, and that's exactly what we did on March 19th of 2020. We were like, hey, we need to be out here. We need to get on that sidewalk. We need to put our espresso machine out there, and we're going to do this. Yeah. And obviously, it was a tricky situation to navigate because mm -hmm. of the safety of our, of, of our health and our team members. But you know, we were able to get our management team to back us. and. And, you know, first couple weeks, you know, Jared could speak to this wherever he is. But, you know, it was, we're like, hey, this was a mistake. What are we doing? Like, we need to be in, <laughs> at home. But we yeah. felt the duty to serve our community. And we still, you know, we still knew that there were people out there who need their coffee, who need their food. And so, you know, week three, week four, as we got into April, like, <laughs> we started getting groups of people riding their bikes. People coming, pulling up, ordering food popping the trunk in their car and just eating out of their car. And then next thing you know, we're, we're like hitting like 50% of our normal sales on the sidewalk. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and so I, th I would say that that's probably one of the best things we did. Yeah. Is kind of stay true to our brand and our name mm -hmm. and put ourselves out there. But that's on, on the flip side, that was also kind of, why this year has been so difficult was because I was, we were very bullish last year in staying open, reopening, and getting going. And so I kind of burned myself out a little bit. <laughs> and then yeah. this year, no, I mean, I wasn't expecting this to happen, this labor uh, shortage and this whole shift in, in the labor market. And, and so, you know, I, that's, that same spirit got me into trouble this year. <laughs> and, uh, you know... I got a little overzealous in April. I, we tried to roll out a whole new menu and added a bunch of different items. And it was the biggest flop of my professional career. And I've never openly said that, but you know, I've, I've done a lot of self-reflecting and, and you know, just realized that it's a gift and a curse, right? Mm -hmm. And it's now, it bit me in the butt pretty hard. But thankfully, you know, we're resilient, we're strong. We were able to survive, but, you know, we're wearing the scars, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for opening up because I think, you know, especially as uh, business leaders or just leaders in the community, a lot of times people just see the good things, right? And it might paint a false image of reality. And there is a lot of failure that comes into doing what you love and it and I think it should be celebrated more and the idea that we, you grow from it and you learn from those those challenges so can you touch a little bit about that just what do you do right to, to help yourself through those moments of what you might perceive of oh it didn't work out but I, I have to keep going so what helps you to to keep going that's a really good question <laughs> so I, I mean I, I'm thankful because you know I have great family unit you know I have a four-year-old son who you know I'm his I'm his superhero I have family who believe in me who n have never given up on me even though they've had so many 
opportunities to do it. And so I, I, I mean, I find a lot of my strength in family. My parents, they, they came with nothing. My father, he worked, his, his minimum wage was $2.50 working at a factory in New York City. He got here on a jet plane on a hidden runway in the Bahamas and then from the Bahamas to, to Miami. I mean, you know, the very, very interesting routes, right? And so I just really, I try to reflect on that a lot. I'm like, well, I'm not moving into a new country, not knowing the language and blindly just taking a huge leap of faith and starting a new life, right? That's much harder than anything I have to complain about at the moment, even COVID and everything else, right? So I draw a lot of my strength from there, but that gas tank has been pretty depleted this year. So I've had to really kind of focus on, on, on me, on, on really trying to understand myself a little better because I knew, I thought I knew myself, and then once I was so weakened this year by the, 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 the flop in April and being burnt out by just never taking a break through COVID, I, you know, I, was, I was very vulnerable mentally. And I had some really tough, dark moments where I'm like, man, I'm just going to close shop. What am I doing? Like, I, I, this isn't a life. Like, I, I don't, I'm not happy. I, you know, and so ultimately, I know this is... I don't want to oversimplify it because everybody's different. Everybody take, you know, takes life and their, their world differently. But to me, it just came down to, hey, like, I felt like, I, I feel like this, but I've gone, I've packed it in early. I've gotten a good night's rest. And sometimes the next day, I don't feel the same way. And that's the, that's the human imperfection, right? Like, we take the moment so seriously. And sometimes we don't realize that, hey, I just need to go take a freaking nap. <laughs> I just need to go sleep. <laughs> yeah. And I wake up and I'm like, oh, I feel a little different. But not all the times. Right. But it's, it's, it's that that I've always, that I clinged on to this year. It's like I was having five bad days all to get to that one good day. Yeah. And that one good day gave me enough energy to fight through the next five bad ones. Right. And I was kind of in that loop for a few months. And it built up my tolerance. And now, you know, I'm like, I'm feeling reinvigorated. And now I'm like incorporating my gym, like, you know, gym back, back into the routine, the physical health. You know, I was, I, I was in group therapy for a while too. So I, I did that and that was really helpful. And now I'm trying to get myself back into it. So, you know, a lot, it's a combination. It's never one thing. What works for you at that moment to get you out of that hole won't work for you the next day when you're in this hole. Yeah. So you, you have to understand that there it's, it's never, there's not one formula to be happy or to avoid sadness or depression, right? right. These are, it's what I call is just, these are the waves. Mm -hmm. You just have to learn how to ride them, whether yeah. they're up or they're down. Absolutely. I've, life is a spectrum, right? And it'll test us in different ways. And it's how we get through those stormy waters that really helps us to build that strength to keep going. So I think we can, I'd love to know, like, what are some things that bring you joy, Josh, that for, you know, one of my, honestly, one of my, and I'm not just saying this because we're at Makers, but what brings me a lot of joy is going to coffee shops. I love just doing that. If I can do that every day, I'm so happy. But yeah, what are some things that bring you some joy that, that you're like, you know what, maybe all these things over here aren't working out exactly how I would like them to, but at least I have all this, this, and this. My, my, my original joy for doing, for opening a restaurant was 
I legitimately putting a smile on somebody's face and giving someone an experience and having them taste something that they maybe haven't tasted or, you know, a different expression of a flavor that we we have here. And just, you know, seeing that face and seeing that reaction to the space as well, because a big part of this place wasn't just the Latin cafe, the food. It was also the space. We wanted to create something very unique, very different, you know, something that you're like, well, I've seen this in my city. I've seen this where I come from. And, and we wanted to have a really a space that really fit a lot of people's likes, right? So for me, that brings me a lot of joy. And to this day, it does. Like, and that's why if, if I'm here, which my, I know my team would rather me not be here as much because I am hands-on. Like, I want to go, <laughs> go and I see a dirty plate. I want to go pick up their plate right there. I mean, I want to go, you know, bust some dishes. And I want to make sure people are enjoying themselves and... And, and that brings, I mean, that was my original joy for, for, doing, for doing this. It's just there's nothing like seeing someone happy because, of, because I had this interaction with them and I guided them through this food and beverage experience and they walked out of here happy. Mm-hmm. And that to me was my original joy. And it still is. It still is. I, 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 I enjoy it and it... And what's cool is that it still feels novel, like it's it, it hasn't worn yet, but you know that's that's a, that's something that I really hold dear, near and dear. And then obviously my son, my four-year-old, you know Hudson, he's a huge part of 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 why I you know keep going. At the end of the day, I don't I, at least I can speak for myself. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing half the time, even though I've gained and collected these set of skills. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but just the the naivety and the pure joy that you know this four-year-old displays is like it's kind of helped me reconnect with like my childhood spirit Mm -hmm. and just seeing him like imagine and you know we're playing with toys and just like creating these characters and I was that was very much who I was as a child like I was very imaginative I could sit in a corner and play with you know these toys and create these stories and and really that in retrospect, in and in, in, in being going through this fatherhood experience, I realized that that's what brought me to Makers. That's what brought me here. Like it's that imagination, it's that like curiosity and that that kind of like childhood kind of like interest in the world. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. these possibilities that you know when you're young, you're like when you're a kid, you're like I can do. It. And I've really held on to that a lot, and I've really reconnected to that part of my of my my spirit you know this year and it's really helped me you know just hey i i can't write i can't even get an email out right now let me close this laptop let me get my child let me go to the park and let's watch him run and let's watch him be free Mm. and that to me was i was like this is okay this is it's okay yeah wow that's beautiful i love that Oh, uh, man. Well, Josh, I feel like you, we've touched upon all the main things. And, I, I, you know, let's touch a little bit before we end our conversation on the growth of Makers and Finders and just how incredible that y'all are in downtown Summerlin, Area 15. You have Take It Easy as well. So if you can just touch upon. Yeah, I mean, the vision was always, I kind of felt like we're carrying a culture here, you know, in, in Las Vegas at least. And I was always, we were always very much like, hey, this isn't, this is step one, you know, 
And it's always been a goal early on to grow this concept into a multi, multi-store, multi-market concept and, and business. And so the first step to doing that was downtown, which this is rewind. This is 2017, 2000. Yeah, 2017. Downtown Summerlin had just, you know, gone through a turning, a turn, right? Like they sold off to Howard Hughes, the corporation that owns it and bought all the land around there. They lost, you know, the original ownership, cor- the corporation that owned it had a bunch of these weird food and beverage. So there was like closures of all kinds of businesses. So we came and, you know, saw this third generation space, right? And it was an opportunity because one of the biggest costs in, in at least this kind of business, food and beverage, is that initial contribution. You got to have $200,000 to build a kitchen and build a restaurant, build a dining room. And, you know, and it costs a lot of money up front. And so the attraction to downtown Summerlin was, again, like, I think I saw what they were doing. I understood, you know, I got to meet some of the, the leadership of Howard Hughes. I saw their vision. Same thing here. Like, I, you know, there was a vision here when, you know, of the city of Las Vegas, and it continues to grow. We just, we have the arc, and now we have that, I don't know, we all, I mean, we're all on Facebook. We saw the pedestrian walkway happening as well next year. But the vision in downtown Summerlin, I was like, okay, I see. They were trying to go local. They were trying to reinvent downtown Summerlin. And so we jumped into this third generation space and something that would have cost us a quarter million dollars to build, we had a kitchen hood, which is, you know, a good chunk of money just to have that part. The grease trap, which is, you know, 30000 that, That's, hey, I, I just saved $60,000 by going into this space. And so we were able to do a renovation as opposed to a build out, which cost dramatically less. And, you know, we negotiated a good deal to have some free rent in the beginning just to get us off of our feet. But it was it was daunting because, once again, it was a third generation spot, which means that I was a third business going into this space. The two before me had failed. But I just I you know, I a lot of it is just gut feeling. And I still remember sitting with Omar sitting on that patio and <laughs> and. I'm like, I think we could do this. I think this is going to work here. And I was telling him about why. And, you know, the, the space is just, you know, I'm kind of weird in the sense, like, there, there was, like, some numerical things that were very correlated. Like, and I'm kind of weird. <laughs> and then I'm like, the shape was a certain way. And I'm like, this is, there's something about this place. And we, we took the, the dive and, and um, Man, we're going on our fourth year anniversary, December 21st. And oh, that's amazing. Crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thank you. And then Area 15, or Take It Easy Roasters, that's where, you know, I, we wanted to build a vertical business. Like, I don't just want to have my retail and have to be, you know, I want to have control of my product and my margins as much as I could. So, you know, again, with Omar, we, we, we found this coffee roaster back in 2017, and it was sitting right in that building over there, Soho Lofts, through a failed project. The owner, Sam Cherry, of that building, and he actually just built this lofts over here. He's like, hey, you want to buy this roaster? It's in the box. I'm like, He'll, I'll sell it to you for cheap. Let's go see it. And we grabbed it, bought it, sat in our warehouse in Chinatown for a couple of years, and then we opened Take It Easy Roasters. And it's off Spring Mountain and Wind Road. And now we roast coffee for all of our locations. We have awesome. a distribution van, which... Adrian used today to, to move his stuff, you know, and so now we distribute coffee to, to our locations. It's also a bakery, so our baked goods are made there and distributed, 
And then the next step, we, that was last year, so we opened right after the pandemic, July 15th of 2020. And then June 3rd of 2021, we opened a, a location, or a micro location inside of Area 15 where it's coffee, pastries. That's also been going really well, thankfully. It's just amazing. And I'm so uh, grateful to have been able to see the growth over the years. And as a person that you know grew up in Vegas and to see this area of the arts district, what is now, and I, I don't even know, you know, it, the memory, I can't even remember what was here before all of this. So it's just amazing. And everything that you and your team have been able to do for the Vegas community, aside from the tourists that come and, you know, get an idea of, oh, okay, these are other things that are going down here in Las Vegas. But for the heart of the community, for the people that live here, it's, it's just, it means a lot, honestly. So I hope that you know that on those difficult days remember how amazing and what this what this really does mean for people that live here and and hope you know I think with time the reputation of Las Vegas is changing it is becoming more than the strip and it's amazing that you're you're at the forefront of that I I mean I'm so grateful and I really appreciate you Monica I'm genuinely like very happy to be able to participate tonight and same to you I've seen your growth and seeing all the hoops you've jumped through to be where you are. So I appreciate your words, but I, I just want to send them right back to you because you're doing something incredible and please don't stop. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> well, I think that concludes an incredible interview. Thank you so much, Josh. Appreciate you. And I'm so thankful. We've never done a partnership like this with a company. So just thank you so much. So, you know, today starts a week-long fundraiser for LYF. And at both Makers and Finders locations, you can purchase the menu and $5 comes back to LYF. So, and on December 16th, we'll find out how much was raised at our next event. So, and which will be at the Gather House right next door to Ferguson. So again, as a growing small nonprofit, everything really does help, any donation helps. So just thank you so much, Josh, for making it happen. And it's, it's truly been a pleasure. The pleasure's all ours, thank you. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate you guys coming out, truly. Thank you. Welcome to the LYF podcast. This podcast is provided to you by the Love Yourself Foundation, which is an organization here spreading the message of love and more specifically self-love and the powerful ripple effect that has not only in building a better relationship with yourself, but also with your community and with our beautiful planet. We're here to tell you that we're all one. All living beings are connected to each other, to the universe. So we're going to be talking about important topics like mental health, environmental issues, and tying it all back into the self and ways that you can not only empower your relationship with yourself, but also empower your relationship with your community and with our beautiful planet. So if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at the LY Foundation. You can also check out our website at the LYfoundation.org. 
And we have a very special new addition to what we're doing. We now have a membership program called the Lifeline Membership Program, which offers support calls, group support calls, free admission to our events, workshops, specialized merch. So we also have special discounts going for students, teachers, frontline workers. So if you want to hear more about this, please go to our website at the LY Foundation slash membership for more info. Thanks for tuning in.